Yes. But you see, I've always thought Australians had an inbuilt angry streak, Vanstone observed. Angry? All the clichés about Australia go to our easygoing natures. Happy-go-lucky, no worries, she'll be right. It had never occurred to me to think of Australians as an angry people. We might be moaners and whingers, but angry. We think of the Mediterranean cultures as hot-blooded and hot-tempered, yet here we were in the centre of one of the oldest civilizations in the world, discussing how people on an everyday level got on with each other, manoeuvred around each other, so that everybody could get where they wanted to go. We had just come out of a decade in which the country's political leader said he wanted us all to be comfortable and relaxed, and later, alert but not alarmed. Yet Vanstone's comment stayed with me, perhaps because I was so regularly reminded of it, even in the relatively sedate traffic of Canberra, so many people stubbornly refusing to give way when they could. Why should they let someone else get ahead? Australians might not like to yell and confront each other. We might not gesticulate colourfully, but we find other ways to assert ourselves. This, of course, was before Tony Abbott's rise to the leadership of the Liberal Party and before the June 2010 coup that toppled Rudd and injected a new level of anger into our political discourse. Someone, it seems, is always in the process of letting us down or telling us a lie. No one in politics is allowed to change their mind or even adapt to new circumstances anymore. In the day-to-day political discourse, this is put down purely to bad politics, badly conducted. But are we also getting angrier as a society? When I went back to Vanstone in late 2011 and asked her why Australians are so angry, she replied that it is because they have expectations that have not been met and a belief in entitlements they are due. The more I thought on it, the more it seemed that so much of our culture, so many of our public discussions, contain some suspicion or assertion that we might be being ripped off, that someone else might be getting preferment. The belief that we are entitled to a lifestyle that we think everyone else may be enjoying seems to simmer not far beneath the surface. A most conspicuous example of this is the way the debate about asylum seekers plays out. The swirling myths that people who arrive by boat are handed a goodie bag of entitlements as they step ashore. The simmering suspicion is not a new phenomenon, but maybe it is a defining one that we are yet to acknowledge in ourselves. In his book, Convict Society and Its Enemies, the historian John Hurst documents what he rightly says is perhaps in all our writings, an unbettered account of this aspect of Australian society. In 1839, during a heated debate on the future of convict transportation and self-government, a correspondent for the Sydney Herald wrote about the harshness of the relationships within the small but growing community. The Herald's correspondent, who called himself simply a settler, pointed out that such harshness was in fact a characteristic of all new societies. People come here to better their condition. Many with limited means, their tempers a little soured with privations and disappointed expectations, for all expect too much. Cut off from the ties of kindred, old friendships and endearing associations, all struggling in the road of advancement, and no one who reflects will be surprised that they jostle one another. Every man does not know his own position so well as at home.
Australia's politics and our public discourse have become noticeably angrier since that cold Roman night in October 2009. Shouty, some people call it. And yes, the social media seem to amplify it and make it uglier. People think they can say just about anything to anyone in the semi-anonymous world of the Twitterverse. In popular culture... Some of the recent confected outrage may well have been imported as a package and a formula from elsewhere, notably the United States. In the political realm, we are underwhelmed by our politicians, by our institutions, and by the quality of services that government provides. But I want to explore something wider. This is not an essay that seeks to make grand claims about the Australian character or the Australian psyche. Neither is it another treatise pointing out the stunningly benign relativities of Australia's economic position and social harmony. And that, as a result, we really don't have anything to complain.